It's Sunday, April 2, 2023. I'm Anthony Davis, and welcome to The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can subscribe to my work and get exclusive access to bonus content, live Q&As and more at patreon.com slash 5-Minute News. Joining us today is one-third of the Midas Touch brethren, lawyer, entrepreneur, and host of the Midas Touch podcast, Legal AF, and much more, Ben Mycellus. Welcome to The Weekend Show. Good to be here, Anthony. So I'm, I'm in very powerful company because I, when the news broke that Donald Trump was indicted, I turned to the Midas Touch uh, live feed and I was with it for several hours. I didn't feel the need to watch cable news because I think, and you know, just to kind of blow some smoke in your direction for just a moment, what you've managed to encapsulate, not just with your broadcast, your podcast, but also the the Midas Mighty and the movement, this kind of this this uh, very powerful support and connection with the audience. People really need the Midas Touch Network to get the news when it breaks, and you certainly did that. Well, I appreciate it, and I think people are sick and tired of being gaslit by large media networks that both sides the issues. As I've always said, on the one hand, you have Fox and OAN and Newsmax, which is just injecting disinformation uh, and a very sickening diet of it in the veins of its viewers each and every day to pursue a very radical and extremist agenda. And then you have, on the other hand, large media networks that both sides the issues and frankly try to normalize behavior of the modern day MAGA Republican Party and Trump, which shouldn't be normalized. So we tried to take a very direct approach uh, and just call things like we see them. And we also have a very data-based approach in everything we do. We implemented that data-based approach from the day we were founded, but you saw that on display during the midterm elections when the media was pushing a false red wave narrative based on incorrect polls, and we were talking about 40 million early votes. What's a bigger data set than that? And having people like Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier talk about it. Here, when it's uh, when we've been talking about the various criminal investigations of Donald Trump, we've had the top experts and we've had them for day one. So, for example, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, who was the former number two in the entire Manhattan District Attorney's Office. She served uh, many, many times as the acting Manhattan District Attorney. She ran the office, essentially, when Cy Vance was in charge. She, she was the main supervisor. You know, We've had her not just for that coverage, but throughout this period of time to give us the data and analyze what was taking place. And so we've relied on experts like that. She's one of the best examples of that to provide just data and just the truth, and I'll give you my opinion on the issues, but before speaking with my opinions, before yelling and shouting, which we don't really do a lot of here anyway, but before giving you my my views, I wanna let you know, here's the documents, here's the data, here's why I think it's that way, and I think that's that approach resonates. And of course, you know, this is built and fueled by the Midas Mighty community. Um, that's a pro-democracy community, unapologetic about it, and we're, honored to be a part of that. Just before we talk about Trump's indictment, which is, of course, the, the big news, I just want to talk about bias, because this is something that I think, you know, we are criticized uh, for here. And what I want to talk about is positive bias, you know, where the people watching who might be, say, Trump fans, and therefore whatever he does he can do no wrong, even if he's broken the law, they don't see that. So they project their positive bias onto the accurate reporting that you and I are doing. And I always find it very interesting that here in the US, because where I'm from in Europe, it's very different. You know, the, the news is in the main is, uh, is factual and it's not opinion based. And that it is possible for us to present the news that is factual with and even though it might, you know, because we are reporting on Trump uh, in a negative way, it's not our negative, it's his negative. He's the guy who broke the law. We're covering it. The difference is with Fox and other networks, they just don't mention it, they don't cover it, and that's their bias. You know, I, I teach a class uh, at a law school in Southern California, and I was asked this question about 
Ben, do you think going to Georgetown Law informed what you're doing now uh, running a political media company? And it is a political media company, I suppose. But the way I answered it to the student is, you know what? I really don't view what I do as political. I mean, I think what I do stands up for decency and compassion and certain basic principles. But for me to call out people who are insurrectionists, who are trying to uh, overthrow our democracy, like I I don't view that as, oh, that's a position that a Democrat takes. I, I view that as a position that all Americans should take. When it comes to a global pandemic, and I think we should take that seriously, I'm astonished that you have a political party in a, a in modern day America, the Republican Party, that is against testing. And the fact that I would say, hey, you need to do tests with global pandemic, that someone would say, oh, that's just some leftist bias right there. Yeah. And, and, well, and if, you, so, if you test less, you find fewer cases, remember? So that was their argument. Test less, fewer cases, it goes away. And then the idea of supporting free and fair elections. I, I don't yeah. think that that should be the view of the Democratic Party. It should be the view of all Americans or the fact that, you know, we should have common sense gun reform. And hey, the same way that people in the military who use the military version, same same type of gun, the AR-15, you know, they have to be trained. They have to pass tests. They have to be skilled at what they do. But in the civilian version, you, you, you don't. You could just give it to anybody. That that just doesn't inherently make sense to me. So to your point, where my bias lies is common sense, where my bias lies is to support our democracy. And frankly, the moment, this is what I've said too on our pod, if President Biden, for all of the great things that I think he did, if once he posted a QAnon meme on his account, just once, and it turned out he really did it, he wasn't hacked or anything, just once, despite all of the great things that I think he did, he'd lose my support that day, that day. Let let alone pay off a porn star or try and overturn a legitimate election or try and extort the leader of Ukraine. I mean, those are big crimes, aren't they? Absolutely. And yet the media normalizes that behavior. You know, I I just saw, for example, um, 60 Minutes is doing a whole piece uh, where they're trying to normalize Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they they produced these, you know, they, they, they tweeted out a photo of the interviewer with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it wasn't like, hey, this is a, you know, radical extremist fascist. They're treating Marjorie Taylor Greene like she's just a very aggressive politician. And so when I see that, when I see Associated Press headlines that try to normalize these uh, wacko Waco rallies where Trump's like literally, you know, praising David Koresh like an actual pedophile terrorist. You know, when I see, you know, the New York Times normalizing it, I mean, I think that's why people are leaving. You know, by, by the way, there's some good writers at the Times. There's some good reporters. You know, I still think at CNN, there's more good reporters at MSNBC, but they sometimes both sides the issues there too. But I think people are leaving those networks and coming to a place where they're not going to be gaslit. And that's why our coverage of uh, the indictment of Donald Trump, I mean, we were the most watched YouTube channel in the entire world for a significant period of time and more people were watching our coverage than NBC, which I think was in second and any of the other coverage out there. And I'm really proud of that. And, you know, and I'm proud to work with people like you, Anthony. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think sets us apart too is, you know, we have incredible hosts like you and like Jessica Denson and like Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo and, you know, really the politics girl, you know, the the whole team that we have, the team at Majority 54, lights on, you know, the whole crew, I mean, are people who share this vision of unapologetically pro-democracy. Let's um, 
while, while I kind of dodge the compliments, because <laughs> we're never very good at that stuff. Uh, Trump's to be arraigned on Tuesday after his indictment in Manhattan, uh, his formal surrender and arrest presenting the historic, shocking scene of a former U.S. commander-in-chief forced to stand before a judge. What is most interesting for me about the coverage of this is that apparently the news of this indictment caught him by surprise and his team by surprise. And that he actually thought that because he lied about it happening last Tuesday, and obviously nothing happened there, he wasn't really focused on this. And um, he thought that prosecutors were reconsidering action. And then when the announcement came, it was the New York Times that dropped this initially, he was, he was a bit shocked. He's not focused on anything. He's not prepared for anything. I mean, you know, you go back to any of his, any of the things he did while he disgraced the office. I mean, he was not prepared for COVID. He uh, was not prepared for anything regarding our national defense. I mean, you know, the key issue regarding those Chinese spy balloons is that it's kind of Trump's view on testing, right? If you don't look for it, it doesn't exist. And so that would take place throughout his administration. He he imperiled uh, our country and weakened our country more than anybody. And he's disorganized. He's an idiot. He's a malignant narcissist. Uh, and ultimately, he he believes this echo chamber that he's created for himself. And in normal times, you'd have a political party uh, like the Republicans look at that and go, that's bad. That's wrong. That's not somebody who we want to uh, support. Notice in all of the deranged responses that the Republicans have given for Donald Trump, I don't think I've read any where they've actually said he's innocent. (laughs) They've never actually went there. You know, they just make every excuse for him. And it it is a real, uh, it, it is really upsetting. Uh, the, the word upset doesn't even capture the feeling of the state of the Republican Party. I want a two-party or multi-party you know, system, if, if you will, where we're battling for ideas, not having the situation where there's one political party that is a cult. And that bunker mentality that you're describing, right, that's ultimately why authoritarians and authoritarian regimes break down, Right. So if you think about, you know, Putin in Ukraine, if you're just getting advice what you want to be told and you're not promoting the top people, but you surround yourself with Jim Jordans who, you know, he runs the Judiciary Committee and 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 never passed the bar exam. Tom Fitton, who runs Judicial Watch, which he's not even a lawyer and, and he just basically walks around with like tight shirts all day and kind of, you know, almost like pretends to be a lawyer. You know, if you, you know, Alina Haba, if you surround yourself with that crew every day because you just want to take in that diet of compliments, um, you're going to get psychophants and really bad advice. And we see that historically. That's what set our system apart um, is that we're great because we're a meritocracy. And when you look internationally, this model of the Kim Jong-uns and the Putins getting bad, bad advice from his generals and all that... It's because um, authoritarianism is a flawed system, not to mention a repressive and disgusting system. And we're supposed to be different here. And that's what's, you know, uh, one of the most upsetting things is to really state you have this political party, Republicans, not both sides, that's given up in the experiment of democracy here in America. Is there an argument to say that because life in the U.S. has been so good for so many rich white people for so long that they kind of take for granted that you can kind of do anything and say anything and nothing's really going to change? You know, the the, the fabric of society is strong. uh, America is strong. And and then you end up having characters like some of these lawyers that you've mentioned and even non-lawyers or pretend lawyers who come along and they and they are pretending to do the job that they are charged with, whether it be on a committee or whether it be, you know, Kevin McCarthy pretending to be the House Speaker, and even the president, who basically pretended to be a president for four years. He didn't really do any work. He he drew on a map with a Sharpie. He just 
you know, press the Diet Coke button. You know, he, he, he didn't really take the role seriously because people like him have just enjoyed pure privilege for decades. And so you can get away with doing and saying anything, just not understanding the magnitude of the job, the knock-on effect internationally, and the great responsibility that goes with running a country with 330 million people in it. I mean, I think the perfect example of what you just laid out is just take Paul Ryan, for example, right? Former a Republican Speaker of the House who's now viewed as a rhino. Donald Trump, I think, calls him like Pauline Ryan and kind of mocks him incessantly. And here is someone who enabled this, who who refused to really speak out against it because, well, there's going to be, you know, maybe we'll get that those tax cuts passed, which, by the way, yeah. increases our deficit and, and causes a great deal of problems with our economy. But, you know, maybe we can maybe we can just pass this economic policy that's going to uh, benefit us. But what you'll ultimately see and, and this is where. You know, I was like, this is one of the reasons why we why we founded the Midas Touch Network is because none of the other media networks are like really giving the appropriate historical perspective uh, of of authoritarian regimes. It's like Paul Ryan may think that's the case until he's a rhino, until he's viewed as human scum, until Donald Trump comes after him and shuts down his business because Donald Trump wants to do whatever crazy thing he wants to do. And Paul Ryan says, hey, don't do that. Well, now you're the enemy. And then they come for you. And this isn't a new phenomenon, right? Like we've seen this before um, and we've seen it with Mussolini. We've seen it with Hitler. Um, you know, we you, you go back further than that. It's not like authoritarianism was just birthed in 19, you know, in the 1990s or, uh, you know, in 2016 when Donald Trump paid people, you know, in that ridiculous golden escalator scene. There is historical precedent for all of the types of things he engages in. But it's in. lack of reference, though, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the problem? The, the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene who use kind of Holocaust references, she doesn't know anything about the Holocaust. She has no concept of the consequences of these words. And and maybe that again goes back to the US for this period, you know, going back, I guess, post-Reagan, where people have just enjoyed a very kind of, you know, successful country. It hasn't had any mainland war. It's it's effectively just people have been able to buy gas, not worry about the climate. You know, that there's it's it's a very self-sufficient place and, and you're not forced to look outside of the country to feel inspired unless you are naturally inquisitive or educated. It's very easy to enjoy the US and get to the highest office without really any understanding of social history or of the of the greater planet. And look, I, I don't want to paint some picture that in the 70s or the 80s, you know, things yeah, were... I'm no fan of Reaganism. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, people have enjoyed a very prosperous life, especially white, rich people, middle class people, certainly. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're black and you're poor, it's a different story. And I think, though, look at what's changed, though, with Reagan in, in addition to kind of further leaning in on these kind of culture wars, but the abolition of the fairness doctrine and really the rise of people like Rupert Murdoch to start to do what they always wanted to do, which was uh, a plan that was hatched by Roger Ailes during the Nixon administration. And the plan that was hatched was, whoa, all of this media that's called Nixon out for Nixon's crimes, what's going on there? They viewed that as being biased against Nixon, whereas at the time Nixon was corrupt and we all rallied around uh, truth and, and, that, and that we wouldn't stand for that. And so the plan, actually a blueprint created by Roger Ailes as a consultant for Nixon, was how to create a Republican propaganda network and yeah. community. Um, um, you then and made for TV it. president. You then you then implement that in Reagan and then yeah. you break down objective media outlets. You have the rise of uh, things like Fox and then you add fuel to the fire there with the Internet 
um, and the fact that uh, the internet has, you know, created the ability for all the great it's done. It's allowed predatory propaganda, uh, agenda-driven places to confuse people, and that hadn't been rebutted, right? So where I found myself in 2020 uh, during the uh, pandemic when I was, um, uh, you know, in, in, in my apartment was was thinking about those issues and and really looking to see what was out there that was telling the truth or or rebutting that because the large media networks weren't. And so all of that was the formation of the Midas Touch Network. And then hopefully we inspire others to go out there and and, and speak the truth because the exhausted majority out there going back to history and the historical precedents that are set, historically, fascism exhausts people. That's one of its characteristics. Uh, someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene and a Boebert or a Trump, right? Exhausting. It's just like, oh, right, enough, fine. What, what, what do you want? What do you want? And that's where people basically throw up the surrender flag and you get these regimes like Mussolini. On the March of Rome, we're talking about uh, the Mussolini faction representing what? 20, 25%. Yet that 25% took over the exhausted majority. And so here, part of what we do is to tell this exhausted majority, which I don't think is exhausted anymore, we, we hear you. You're not going to be gaslit, and we could rally around this together to combat those historical precedents that you just talked about, Anthony. Do you think people like Marjorie Taylor Greene know that they are victims of brainwashing, courtesy of Fox and and right wing radio, talk radio, and and you know various organizations that for the last few decades have have really targeted people like them? through churches, church groups. You know, there are so many places now where, because the tragedy is none of this is necessary. You know, this whole kind of division, the left and the right, the hatred, the screaming, none of it is necessary. We are all fundamentally the same. We all have the same ideals and needs and wants. But the the level of brainwashing is such that they have almost created this false uh, um, grievance that they will not stop until they've made their point and in the time and in the process children at school get executed and and mums can't find uh, health services i mean it's that is the tragedy of this that it's all unnecessary in a meritocracy someone like marjorie taylor green or lauren bobert would not have those positions right they they can never be elected in a uh, in the democratic party frankly they would struggle to almost get any other job out there yeah. other than the job of a Republican in the House of Representatives, both because they engage in discriminatory conduct, they engage in harassing conduct, um, they don't do their research, they're, they're, they're lying consistently. So they don't see themselves as victims. They see this as their path to their self-actualization as being the most successful they can be, and they don't care about the ramifications of it because they have failed in almost everything else that, you know, that, that they've done in their life. I mean, again, you look at Lauren Boebert as, as just an example. She's failed in everything that she did. You, you look at somebody like a Jim Jordan. Not only did he fail in everything he did, he covered up s disgusting sexual abuse at Ohio. But where do you become the, you know, where do you reinvent yourself? Where do you become the top in MAGA Republican land in this party? And I just think that they don't care about the ramifications. They know the script. They know what you have to say to the base to rile people up and they know the power of propaganda and, and, and disinformation, you know, but that's those individuals. When I watch a, uh, when I do some of the segments where I cover the Trump rallies, um, I think there are a lot of people there though, who think that 
Marjorie Taylor Greene actually cares about them. I think they think Donald Trump cares about them. And that is where I try to think about how we got there, what we can do, and ultimately my conclusion about what we can do is ultimately just speak to core principles um, and whether they join or don't join, you know, or, or leave their cult, we have to continue to talk about decency. We have to, you know, talk about compassion. We got to talk about democracy and, and, and humanity and then focus on the issues always. You know, we got to focus on jobs and we got to focus on infrastructure and the economy and wages and working conditions. We, still, we always got to focus on equality. We got to focus on prescription drug prices and, and health care costs. And, you know, we just got to keep on keep our eye on the ball and focus on on those issues and I think the contrast will be clear. I think the contrast is becoming increasingly clear, you know, right now. And that's why you see Fox, like, you know, when, when you think about some of these movies, right, where like at the very end, you know, you know, when the when the bad guy, if you will, is cornered, they do everything and they throw everything they can at the superhero and their last gasp. If you watch Fox right now, it's so unhinged. You know, yeah, Mr. Potato is so desperate. And that's yeah. what I see. I see desperation. But I want to remind the exhausted majority that is not exhausted anymore. That's what that is. That is in strength. And and have have confidence that together we can improve our country. I want to take a quick pause for our sponsor message, and then uh, we'll come back and talk more with Ben Micellis here on The Weekend Show. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. The last few years especially have been a wild ride, filled with my own personal self-realizations and growth. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding, because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I personally have benefited directly from therapy, allowing myself to talk through and work through experiences in my past that were unknowingly having a major impact on the way I go about my day-to-day. Therapy is an incredibly helpful tool for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Over time, I've truly learned to become the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash weekendshow today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Weekend show. It's Sunday. It's the weekend show. I'm Anthony Davis, and uh, Ben Micellis from Midas Touch is with us, and we are reacting to the news that Donald Trump on Tuesday will be arraigned. He will just explain the arraignment because maybe that's a good place to start with this. It's not a word that people use in in the common vernacular, is it? It's very specific. So just just tell us what the process is, and is he going to turn it into a a performance piece? I mean, I'm sure that's his idea. But how's it going to be handled? And he's going to have to make his way to Manhattan, isn't he? Yeah. So we've now seen the first official order issued by the judge. It's Judge Juan Merchant, who actually was the same judge who presided over the case where the Trump organization was convicted of 17 felony counts. So right now, the indictment is still under seal. Uh, We believe that there are 34 separate counts in this indictment. We believe that there's uh, a count for each of the payments uh, that Donald Trump made and falsified business records uh, related thereto, as well as conspiracy counts. So for each payment plus conspiracy, that's why you have these 34 charges. Donald Trump has not seen the indictment yet. The first time he will see the indictment, the same way that anybody who's processed through the criminal justice system in New York sees that indictment is when it gets unsealed. 
It's currently sealed and it gets unsealed usually right before the arraignment. There was the limited sealing order that was issued on Friday, which basically gives the district attorney the right to unseal it at the appropriate time. So Trump will come in uh, to the Manhattan district attorney's office. Um, uh, he will get booked uh, as the, you know, he will get arrested. He will be read his Miranda rights as, as anybody would. He will have his mugshot taken. And then in the arraignment that takes place in court before Judge Juan Merchant, uh, the charges will be read to him. Each of the counts will be read. Uh, he could potentially waive, depends on the state and the processes, but you could waive the reading or you can have the judge read all of the charges one by one by one. And the complaint is usually not, the charging document is not usually this massive document that uses flowerly language like you may be used to in a civil case. It just kind of hits the bare bones. But in the arraignment, the judge will read the charges and will uh, ask the criminal defendant uh, what plea they wish to enter, guilty or not guilty. Um, the expectation, of course, would be that Donald Trump here, despite all of the evidence suggesting that he is guilty, will you know will say that he's not guilty, and then it will go through the process where um, uh, the discovery will be exchanged. Donald Trump will be given the file of uh, the evidence that's been gathered against him that the grand jury has been able to uh, see, and then the case will be set on a trial schedule and. Uh, criminal defendants have a right to a speedy trial. So if they wanted to try the case quickly, they'd have that right. Or they could, you know, waive a speedy trial time and they could uh, uh, push that, you know, you know, and it's not unique to Donald Trump, but these criminal cases could last many, many, many years for, for anybody who goes through that uh, system. Um, I'll tell you this, the Donald Trump case with E. Jean Carroll and the Donald Trump New York Attorney General case in New York has gone faster than most New York cases I've seen. So for those thinking about the delay, there's delay built into our court systems, unfortunately, but that's pretty much the the process that, that that will take place in terms of will he make it into a circus or a show? I'm sure he will and can. He can give a press conference outside the courthouse. There's not going to be cameras inside the, the courthouse, but he can go outside and uh, there likely won't be cameras inside the courthouse. Um, you know, anything, anything can happen, but, but I doubt yeah. it. Um, and he'll give up, you know, he could give a press conference outside, but I think to your point earlier in the show about him being caught off guard by this, it's that malignant narcissism. And what'll be interesting to watch on Tuesday is that he is a very cowardly person. Like he really is. And so this scares him. It's interesting because people think that he's likes confrontation. It's actually the opposite. His malignant narcissism and the pathology he has is to create all of these things because he actually is a chicken shit when you really boil down. And so I think he's scared. Well, there's the bone spurs, of course. Maybe he'll use that as an excuse for uh, not holding a press conference. He he is going to get, will he get bailed? I mean, is that how it works? Will he be allowed to return to Florida and to Mar-a-Lago? Does he have to stay in, in New York State, what's what's the deal with what happens immediately afterwards? Yeah, he, he's not going to have to stay you know, there. He's not going to be put in prison if anyone wants to see that. That's not what happens. Um, I, I haven't seen the indictment, but most likely is a no bail crime in general. So he probably won't have to post anything. Um, he, he may, but it's not going to be of any significant barrier if he does, but I, I don't think he'll end up having to post anything of any substance at all. And then he'll be able to return to uh, Florida. Now, one of the things we'll look for is, are there going to be um, any conditions that are placed on him? You know, is, is there going to be a gag order, which would be very rare, but here where he's threatening not just the prosecutor, but the prosecutor's wife, he's already threatening the judge, uh, and has this propensity, you know, and likely will continue to to engage in these threats. I'm interested to see if that's addressed. Again, it would be rare that a gag order's there, but then again, it's rare to have things like anonymous juries. And 
a federal judge in the E. Jean Carroll case, which is set to go to trial April 25th there, ordered an anonymous jury citing the fact that Donald Trump threatens judges, prosecutors, and and jurors and lawyers. Um, So, you know, we'll see. But the expectation, if anyone's expecting him that he's going to get like locked up on Tuesday, that's that's just that's not what happens to anybody who's charged with those crimes. And so he's not getting special treatment, just the process. It was a similar thing with Roger Stone, wasn't it? You know, people really thought that this was a great moment. You know, he was he was going to get booked. And the next thing you know, the guy's out and continuing to kind of spew all of this bile. I mean, is could you consider, I mean, would Donald Trump maybe be considered a flight risk? Would they prevent him from traveling abroad? Or is it, you know, he won't be wearing an electronic ankle bracelet. So, I mean, it really is for him to cooperate in order for this process to go as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I don't suspect there'll be any uh, conditions on international travel. You know, I I, I doubt that. Um, you know, I'm 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 reflecting though on a lot of the disinformation that was out there regarding the first trial against the Trump organization, and this is where Alvin Bragg took a lot of heat, where. The maximum crime that Alvin Bragg could charge the Trump organization with was a $1.6 million fine. That, 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 right. that, that was the max. And people yeah. were really angry at Alvin Bragg afterwards for, for doing that. You know, when Alvin Bragg had said, that's I'm limited by what the legislature has passed about what the crime is. And that's also why we had Alvin Bragg on the Midas Touch Network. You know, we had Alvin Bragg interview with Karen Friedman Agnifilo. And then we had um, Karen Friedman Agnifilo provide kind of, you know, consistent commentary where we let people know what the truth is. And ultimately, we always thought here on the Midas Touch Network that the Manhattan District Attorney was going to be the first to criminally uh, indict Donald Trump. And we thought that because we thought that's where the data was suggesting that's where the data that's where the data was going and so you look at the witnesses you look at who he's calling you look at what he's saying publicly and it was fairly it was fairly clear that that's what was going to happen but you know there was a lot of vitriol for Alvin Bragg when he uh, when he appeared uh, in the interview with Karen he's been very strong hasn't he i mean you know considering the 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 language that Donald Trump has used towards him. There was, of course, the baseball bat picture, which Trump re- retruthed. Um, you know, he's he's really kind of stayed strong in the face of adversity and a lot of racism. I just want to ask you if the other crimes and the other investigations, of course, there's Georgia, Southern District, there's Jack Smith, of course, the special counsel who's looking at the uh, looking at the insurrection as well as the stolen documents. Is there a chance that because Alvin Bragg has kind of opened the floodgates that the rest might now domino and that actually Trump is going to find that this is going to be a very hefty period of, of, of legal ramification? Yeah. And I don't think it's because the floodgates are open. I think the other cases were being independently investigated. I mean, it's really just a matter of timing in the states, right? And this is what I mean, follow the data. Like for Fawny Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, she pursued a two-prong process. The first is a special grand jury, which prepares a report and recommendations and doesn't have the power to indict. But they prepared a report. Most of that report is still under seal. But everybody believes that one of the recommendations made was to indict Donald Trump. Well, the way it works in Fulton County, Georgia, which is different than the way it works in New York, based on the way uh, Phony Willis has pursued this investigation, is you then take those recommendations and then you basically show those recommendations. It's a two-step process in front of another grand jury. Well, when does that grand jury meet? There's one that meets in March. And there's one that meets in May. Based on the data we have, I don't believe it's met in March to uh, talk about these uh, specific that this specific report and recommendation. So I think it meets in May. I think it gets the report, and I think you look for a June or July uh, indictment there from the Fulton County grand jury, and it could happen as as early as May, but. That's just when that grand jury meets. If you look at what's going on with special counsel Jack Smith, 
He'd love to move quicker, but Donald Trump makes every frivolous objection underneath the sun, executive privilege. You got Pence who claims speech and debate clause privilege. And so they come up with all of these claims that, frankly, no one else could make but them, even though it's frivolous and they should be sanctioned for it because they won an election and held these positions of power with the presidency and the vice presidency, despite the fact that they disgraced it. They can torture our constitution. So the work that Jack Smith has to do is to continue to prevail in front of these federal judges in the D.C. federal court to order these witnesses to show up. It's not like these grand juries meet every day. And it's not like depending on the state, like that Manhattan grand jury, here's multiple cases, not just the Trump case. And they don't show up every day. Sometimes they show up twice a week, like the grand juries in D.C., I think meet a certain amount of times a month. Then you have to coordinate with the witnesses who show up before the grand jury. And then if they object, then you have to go to the court. Then you have to get an order from the court to compel them back. And then they get back. And then Donald Trump appeals that. And so that's why Jack Smith's taking longer, not because Jack Smith or Merrick Garland are like, we don't want to, we don't want to pursue this. But to finally answer the last part of your question, yes, there will be a domino, not because that Alvin Bragg opened the floodgates, but the floodgates were open when Donald Trump committed crimes. And so just look at the calendar right now. E. Jean Carroll's defamation case, April 25th. The Dominion Fox defamation case is also going to be taking place uh, in April. Um, You look at the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, Uh, her civil fraud case against Donald Trump, October 2nd of 2023. So you got those big trials that are lined up. You now have the Alvin Bragg case. And by the way, I don't think Alvin Bragg is done. I think Alvin Bragg is also investigating the fraudulent valuations and Donald Trump's tax cheating over a decade. The civil version of that is what New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking in that case where she's seeking hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So Alvin Bragg, you think about his strategy and you think about really playing chess as opposed to when people go, oh, three-dimensional chess. Look what Alvin Bragg actually did. Step one, you basically hit the single if we're using a baseball analogy. Do the Trump organization prosecution, see what the jury thinks about Donald Trump and the Trump organization. You win that. Also, you get a conviction of the CFO of the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg. Big victory. You move on. You then charge the falsification of business records case, which if you're using the baseball analogy, maybe you go for the double or you go for the triple. Um, And then you move on to what the Grand Slam is, which, by the way, he's still investigating. But he can say, well, strategically, let's watch what New York Attorney General Letitia James is doing. Let that help inform my investigation there. And that's still well within the statute of limitations. So then he can criminally charge. And I, I think technically it's not a superseding indictment because I don't think it's directly uh, inextricably intertwined with these specific falsification of business records. He may have to have another grand jury. So there may be another case brought in Manhattan on these other charges. And then you have Jack Smith's two cases. So you have all of this taking place in a very short period of time. And it is in sequence with what we've been telling the Midas Mighty about when these things would be taking place. And again, Is it that I'm a great predictor and that I just, you know, I'm psychic? No. When you when you actually don't uh, lean into these narratives that who knows where they develop on the media um, and you just look at the dates and you look at who's showing up and what they're doing, you can make a, a, a good prediction. Right. If this was a football game and someone's on the one yard line and you know a little bit about football, you'd say, hey, they're probably going to get a touchdown. Does it mean they're going to get a touchdown? No, they may get stopped, but usually if they're on the one yard line and they got four downs, they're probably going to score in the next few minutes. It does beg the question, though, that if Trump is calling Alvin Bragg and this investigation a witch hunt and a hoax and using all of that language and his surrogates, they're all going on TV and talking about it. You know, Lindsey Graham was like crying on Fox and it was, you know, it's 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 a mess. That's just for like one indictment. 
But as more and more and more start to show up, and as Trump is yet again hauled in front of judge after judge, there's going to come a point where not just the surrogates, but hopefully the Republicans and the MAGA Republicans and the people that are in the, in the cult of Trump recognize that it can't be a witch hunt if there are multiple crimes in multiple jurisdictions with all different types of um, prosecutors. It, it, it's, it's almost like the whole thing becomes more real and, and less of a, the witch hunt that Trump would like them to think it is. In theory, if you were being logical, you would think that, but not with this <laughs> My mistake. not with this modern day MAGA Republican Party that told people to take ivermectin and inject bleach into their veins during a global pandemic. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. Now, the logical move by a Kevin McCarthy, the logical move by uh, you know, any Republican as a leader would say, hey, this is not good for let's just setting aside winning like like this is bad. This is bad behavior, bad conduct. And we need to not be supportive of this. But, you know, I think already the conspiracies that they set up, they set up the conspiracy that actually Biden is behind what's going on with Alvin Bragg. And so this is a, a Biden weaponization. And then they look, they've created, as Eric Swalwell said, uh, a the biggest law firm in Washington, D.C. that the MAGA Republicans created. They call it the Weaponization Committee. And they've got one client and it's Donald Trump and their goal in this Weaponization Committee in the House of Representatives run by Jim Jordan, who chairs the Judiciary Committee. He's someone who's not even a licensed lawyer who chairs the Judiciary uh, Committee. I just think we need to repeat that. Yeah, they want can't to even afford a jacket. They, they, they want to interfere with uh, these criminal investigations. And so I think actually uh, the more of these criminal uh, prosecutions that take place, I think the more unhinged you'll see these MAGA Republicans get. But my hope is this MAGA Republican leadership is a, is a total failure. It's a, it's a total loss. My hope about what we can do, though, is to focus on 70% of the United States population. I think there will always be 20 to 25%, unfortunately, that no matter what the right answer is, they will pick the wrong answer for the sake of the wrong answer. And I, I wish that wasn't the case. But how do we appeal back to 70%? And again, going back to the theme of this episode, I do not believe this is, you know, you may go, Ben, this is, what are you talking about? Now you're gaslighting. But I truly don't believe in my heart that like this is, these are major political positions that I take when I say people should have better paying jobs. That that makes me a leftist. Like when I say insurrections are bad, that's like a lefty liberal uh, position for for me to have that that people should have jobs or that Americans should have health care and should be accessible and affordable and that we should support equality and a woman should have the ability to control her body like I'm sorry I just I don't and one of the things that we try to do here at the Midas Touch Network again is not create these false dichotomies of Democrats they're progressive and liberal. And then Republicans, they are conservative. There's nothing conservative about them. So I always say Republican, fascist, MAGA. And then you have Democrats, the Democratic Party, which I say is pro-democracy, progressive liberals, independents, people who were conservative. And we could have, de we could have debates. Let, let, let's challenge each other on ideas, but fundamentally, let's not be a cult. The rest of the world is a lot more progressive than the US. It has already like the the you know evolution is a thing that just kind of snowballs and hopefully you know if if abortion becomes legal 50 years ago it will stay uh legal for you know forever. It's only America really that is kind of 
doing these rollbacks. And, and obviously a lot of that is to do with the way that Donald Trump had the opportunity to, to pack the Supreme Court. But really, it's only going to take a, a small number of winning seats in the House and in the Senate in 2024 to actually right a lot of the wrongs, uh, a ban on, on these assault weapons or, or codifying abortion rights into, into federal law. I mean, these things are actually very possible with quite a small majority, hoping that people like Kirsten Sinema and, and Joe Manchin are not part of the count. Absolutely. And that's why as we start to look to the next issues that are coming up, the MAGA Republicans realize that. And so one of the things that they're focused on is to try to uh, destroy our economy and to try to cause great chaos, hoping that people don't realize where it's coming from. And so one of the things that we are starting to spend a lot of time focusing on here is the debt ceiling. Uh, in normal times, in logical times, uh, regardless of the party that was in power or not in power, uh, the party that controlled the House of Representatives would increase the debt ceiling because what that just means is that you are paying for the bills that were previously incurred by prior Congresses and prior administrations. And so that's why you have to raise the debt ceiling. Clean debt ceiling bills have always existed essentially forever, and have not been tied with arbitrary uh, spending cuts. Now you have the MAGA Republicans basically saying, unless you agree to spending cuts, and by the way, we're not even going to tell you what we think should be the spending cuts. We're not going to show you our own budget. You're just going to have to divine what it is that we want. And then Biden, you need to then negotiate against yourself. Well, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. And you have to remember, this is the MAGA Republican Party that one couldn't even count the votes on the 15th vote for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. They didn't even know how to count the numbers, whether or not. And these are the individuals. And we remember the embarrassment that they put Kevin McCarthy through and frankly, the country through um, then. This is the party that I think is gearing up to try to create a situation where they will not raise the debt ceiling. They will try to cause America to default on its debt, which will send the economy into a recession. And w because they've been rooting for the recession, right? Yeah. That's what they, on Fox, they've been rooting for recession and depression and trying to make that happen. And Biden, against all odds, after Donald Trump created all the conditions to tank the economy. By the way, if, 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 if Trump was in power, Trump would, we would be in a Great Depression right now, the, the, the likes of which would make the Great Depression of the past yeah. something. But Biden, against all odds, was able to right that ship, put us on a good direction, do things like the Inflation Reduction Act, and the MAGA Republicans are like, whoa, we thought this wasn't going to happen. And, and Democrats in 2024... That could be the transformative election. And Democrats are well positioned right now for that to take place. We really are. Well, really, if they carry on, if Republicans carry on as they have been, just the chaos that night of, of, of Kevin McCarthy trying to get enough votes was just chaotic. But certainly with these committee hearings that we've been seeing, where, where with this mudslinging and it, it just... Josh Hawley like screaming and it's just it's such a chaotic administration in in Congress that I think people if they're watching are going to start to realize that actually Republicans do not have the ability to run a legitimate government in any shape way or form and if they continue like this and if Marjorie Taylor Greene continues screaming and spouting off and using such horrific language. And even Trump, you know, at that Texas rally that he did the other day, I mean, the stuff that he was saying was so completely offensive that I actually thought he would be scaring off even some of the base. He said the Biden's regime weaponization of law enforcement against their political opponents is something straight out of the Stalinist Russia horror show and said it was the most serious problem facing America today. I mean, 
this constant complaining, this constant chaos, compared to the Democrats who seem to be calm and measured and focused, enough people surely are going to recognize that and secretly vote Democrat in 2024. They might not tell their friends, but I can't see how Republicans can can ever be electable under these circumstances. Well, I think the key thing you said there is people, if they are watching, and the one uh, thing I would add to that is then, what are they watching? Yeah. And to me, that is where the Midas Touch Network comes into play, where that's why we show those things. We show what's going on in these committee hearings. We show what's going on in the rallies. You know, and I know large media networks are like, why are you even covering Donald Trump? We we don't cover him. You should just ignore him. Yeah, it's and so I naive, say, isn't it? And I say, you are covering him. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the, the, the New York Times coverage of the rally that you talked about says the following. This is New York Times. Uh, or, or, or Donald J. Trump, the former primetime reality TV star known for his love of big stages and vast crowds, has embraced a more humbling and traditional style on the campaign trail in recent months. That's not Fox. That is the New York Times. This is what the Associated Press said about the Waco rally. Associated Press. Trump facing potential indictments holds defiant Waco rally. Facing yeah. potential indictment, Donald Trump took a defiant stance at a rally Saturday in Waco, disparaging the prosecutors, investigating him, and predicting his vindication as he rallied supporters in a city made famous by deadly resistance against law enforcement. I, I don't know how that exists, that you have New Just York legitimizing Times, a, a kind of fascist movement, basically, by taking him seriously, and especially the New York Times, who should certainly know better. But this is this is a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and I think that you have to cover him, but you have to cover him truthfully. And to yeah. do that, you have to say, you know, Donald Trump, a, you know, a fascist wannabe who spreads conspiracy theories, uh, has further degraded the Republican Party by holding an event praising terrorists, which commenced yeah. with the January 6th choir, a group made up of insurrectionist terrorists that Donald Trump sings songs with. Why is what I just did there hard for people to, yeah. to, to, to say? They would have sold more newspapers, Ben. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, it's like if, if they're just doing it for business, there's a bigger story to be had and they'll, and they'll sell more papers. We, we have to finish in a second, but I have a final question for you, which I think is something that people are probably thinking about. And that is, how does this indictment change Donald Trump's ability to run for president in 2024 to be the Republican candidate. He's obviously still out front. We haven't even mentioned Ron de Sanctimonious or whatever his name is, um, who has played a very weird card off the back of the indictment saying that he would refuse to uh, you know, assist with, with removing Trump out of Florida and taking him to, to Manhattan. Um, what was the likelihood that Trump, after this indictment and potentially others, will remain the candidate for the Republican Party for the presidential race in 2024? I with I w I don't want to ever be wrong in my prediction, so I'll just say 99%. Um, uh, the Republican Party is a cult, and in North Korea, Kim Jong Un is not going to lose to Kim Jong Un's lieutenant. Okay, yeah. the Republican Party is built like Kim Jong Un's North Korea. They will elect the cult leader. DeSantis will DeSantis will lose in Florida. DeSantis yeah. will lose in, in in probably every state. You know, you know, maybe he gets an early pickup in one of the smaller states, possibly. But DeSantis may not even run. I mean, because you have to realize when you're part of a cult, if you go after the cult leader and cult leader calls you out the way Trump did with DeSantis, the response from the cult follower, you can't call the cult leader out. So you just take it and take it and take it and until you tap out. And that's what's happening there. There is a, remember, the Republican platform for the 2020, uh, for the 2020 presidential, they, they removed their platform and they made their platform whatever Donald Trump says. 
that's not me making it's not hyperbole. They literally change their platform to whatever Donald Trump says. And then the Republican convention was Donald Trump with all of his kids and his kids' girlfriends. That was their convention, his kid and his kids' girlfriends. How humiliating and degrading is that just for our country, yet alone the Republican Party? So no, Donald Trump will be the nominee no matter what for this cult of a Republican Party. And we need to make sure that the exhausted majority is exhausted no more and stands up to that and recognizes what's at stake. Okay. Thank you. I I always enjoy our conversations, both on the phone and here on The Weekend Show. Ben Micellis, thanks for joining The Weekend Show. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be on, and thanks for all your work. I'm Anthony Davis. Please subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast. Don't forget to visit patreon.com slash five minute news to support me and my work. And don't forget also I do a five minute news daily podcast. It drops every morning. You can hear me tell you what's happening in the US and around the world while you make your morning coffee. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with Midas Touch. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.